And uh, if you have a Bible, I'm going to be in Luke chapter 5, so if you want to get a head start and go over there, uh, I want to have a really simple conversation with you today as we finish the sermon series called Unhurried, but we certainly don't finish our intent to live in such a way. And if you've missed all that, you can catch it on the podcast or on YouTube uh, and catch up on where we've been as we next week step into the beginning of Advent. And so I'm really excited about that as well. But uh, I'm going to put this quote up on the screen from Richard Foster. He wrote these words in a book called The Celebration of Discipline. He said, Our adversary, the devil, majors in three things. Before I read the three things, just think about the weight of that statement. That of all the things the devil could major in in your life. Foster says it's these three. Noise, hurry, and crowds. And just leave that up for a minute, Jordan. I want you to think about that. That sounds really deep. (laughs) It sounds right, but I want to invite you in these couple minutes we have to ask yourself if that is what the Holy Spirit wants from you in this season. Because it's Thanksgiving week and it's just the runway into Christmas and New Year's, and fake New Year's resolutions that you're not going to keep, and we'll cover that later. But that's the the ethos, it's the culture in which we find ourselves, and I want you to think about this, that is the devil in your own life majoring in one or two or all three of those categories, noise, hurry, and crowds. And I think an even better question for us today is can we get an example in the life of Jesus that would support the conclusion that Foster draws? And if you have been following this series for any length of time, you already know that I agree with Foster. But I think we can. I think we can see practiced in the life of Jesus this principle, that we can find Jesus noticing and living out this practical, see, because it's one thing to have a theory that I'm too busy. It's a whole different thing, I get an amen in church today, to actually unhurry yourself. I got two of you. My goal is to convince the rest of you by the end of today, that the devil actually is the noise in your life. He's the noise in your life. And so there's a story in Luke's gospel, in Luke chapter 5, where Jesus is doing a lot of ministry. Like a lot of, like legit ministry. Like if you were a Pentecostal, you would be really happy with the things Jesus was doing in these stories, right? I mean, he's healing people, he's casting out demons, he's throwing, you know, demons into pigs and they're running off cliffs, 
And there's like, there's some legit things happening in his ministry here in Luke and Luke's gospel and really all the gospels as they tell their own account of it. And so good things, great things, miraculous things are happening both right before our text, miracles are happening, and right after our text, miracles are happening. But in our text, miracles are still happening, and I want you to see an intentional decision that God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, God with us, Emmanuel, chooses to make in the midst of a really busy season of his life, and not just a busy season of his life, a miraculous season of his life, where he's doing things that nobody else can do. And so it's in Luke chapter 5, and I want you to see how Jesus chose to handle that reality in his own life. Look at Luke chapter 5. From verse 12 to 16, here's what it says. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. What a great confession. What a great confession for all of us as we step into this Advent season that this would be the posture of our heart as we come to Jesus in this moment. God doesn't owe us anything. What a great confession if you are willing. I know you can make me clean. You can heal me if you're willing. Because here's the reality. God's will is higher than ours, isn't it? Scripture says, past finding out. And so there are moments in all of our lives where God chooses to say no to our request. I have a mom who's been in a wheelchair for 35 years. God said no to that healing request, but I can tell you this, she wouldn't trade those years of serving the Lord in that place now that she's seen what he's done. And, and, and you, we could go on and, and I could go around the room and you could tell me the times where you asked for something and the Lord did answer, but it wasn't the answer you wanted. Now I can also say that when it says if you're willing There's another confession there that sometimes, a lot of times, he is willing. There are miraculous stories in this room right now of God saying yes to those miraculous opportunities to heal or to provide or to do any number of things. And so here's how this story goes. This man begging Jesus, get get the picture here, he's on his face begging the Son of God in the flesh for healing. Verse 13, Jesus reached out his hand, and listen to this, touched the man. There is is a bodily, incarnational 
element to our faith. There's a reason that Jesus didn't just send salvation from the realms of heaven, but in fact, what we're going to start talking about next week is that there's a very intentional reason as to why he stepped out of the splendors of heaven and into time and space and took on a body to be with us. That is an important part of our faith. And so he touches the man. And I love the simplicity of the statement. Jesus says, I am willing. I love that. <laughs> Just If you need something to meditate on this week with your quiet time, what a statement that Jesus would reach out and touch this guy and say, I am willing. But look at what happens. And he says, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Incredible. Miracles happening. And they were happening before this story and they're happening after this story. But we're here in this text to look at the next part. Look at what it says. So Jesus ordered him. This never goes well for Jesus, by the way. Ordered him, don't tell anyone. <laughs> but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. That was just a cultural thing that if you had leprosy, you couldn't re-enter society. You were living outside the walls of the city. And if you were healed or got better, somehow there was a process for you to be allowed back into civilization, right? You were quarantined. Come on, somebody. You were quarantined for a long time. And then there's a process. There's a testing for you to get back into normal life. And so Jesus was telling him to go take that path, go back into the city, go to the priest, do your sacrifices, get the stamp of approval so that you can go into society, but don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. Because Jesus would another place to say, like, my time is not yet to go die. And if it spreads too fast, we're going to preempt what I'm trying to do. So don't tell anyone. Of course, that doesn't work out. Verse 15, here's what it says. Yet the news about him spread all the more. Why? Because this was a guy who had leprosy. People knew who this guy was. They knew that he was thrown out of the city. And now here he is and he's clean. So crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. Now listen. Verse 15, crowds of people are coming. How many of you think crowds of people need to hear what Jesus has to say? Yes or no? Yes. If you said no, Jerome will see in the back afterward. All right? How many of you think it's a good thing to go to Jesus if you need healing? Yes or no? Yes. Yes, yes we, we're fine with this. Right? And Jesus is doing these things, right? He's preaching, he's teaching, he's healing, he's doing all these things. And yet, look at what happens in verse 16. Crowds of people are coming to see Jesus, but Jesus, what's that next word? Often. 
often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Leave that verse up there. At the risk of stating the obvious, if Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, in the midst of a busy season, needs to often withdraw to a lonely place to pray, how much more do you and I need to, in the midst of the busyness, in the midst of the hurry, need to withdraw? What a great word. You know what withdrawal means? It means to remove yourself. It's like if you have a, an outlet that has a plug in it, to withdraw that, you have to physically take it out of the wall. That's what withdrawing is. Here, one of the things I see in my own life is that I will try to rest, I will try to spend time with Jesus without withdrawing. Because there's a difference. There's a difference. You can still be in it. <laughs> I'm here, Jesus. Let's talk. And, and he will. Because he's a good and gracious God. But listen, there's no shortcut to peace. There's no shortcut to the blessings and presence and relationship of God. There's no shortcut. So I've been pounding this nail all series because I'm, I'm pretty convinced that most of us know and believe that this is true. Like I think if I went around the room and polled you, if I went online and polled all of you, like I, I think most of you, there'd be a few of you that are wrong, but I, most of you, that was a joke, relax. Most of you would agree. Like, yeah, like, life is too busy. Like, there's too many things going on. Like, I don't think, I don't think the issue is that we believe that to be true. I, I don't think that's the issue. I think all of us would say slowing down, unhurrying is good for me. Here, here's where I think the issue is. It's one of withdrawal. It's one of withdrawal. I think very few of us, myself included, sadly, have been willing to take the necessary action steps to make that a reality. To take the necessary steps to make withdrawal a rhythm in our life, a habit and a practice and a natural rhythm in our life. I think there's very few of us in this culture that have done that. Now, hopefully you're, you're making those strides as we talk about it week in and week out. But Jesus intentionally chose, as the crowds are coming, as busyness, like, 
like a physical picture of busyness is coming at him. Crowds of people who legitimately needed him. Like these people were going to the right place. Like think about that. Bad things were not happening and yet it was in that that Jesus noticed that the devil is in this busyness. And so he chose to withdraw to a place where none of those people were to pray. To pray. It's incredible to me. The greatest choice that he could make in that moment was not to heal, was not to preach, but it was to withdraw and pray. That's fascinating to me. Because I don't, I don't think... If crowds of people were coming to hear and be healed right here, like, I don't think I'd hit the door and go pray. I'd be like, this is awesome. (laughs) But that's not the choice that Jesus made. And so, Redeemer, we need to be people that withdraw and pray. To make that an intentional part of our rhythm as the people of God. Revival starts in the furnace of your own heart. It begins in your soul. It begins with your vision up. It begins with you falling in love with Jesus. And you don't fall in love with anybody. You can, lust, you can fall in lust with somebody without spending time with them. But you can't fall in love. You can want the blessings of Jesus without ever having the relationship with Jesus. But that's not love. Right? One of the things we've been talking about is slowing down to the pace of love. If I'm moving too fast to love God with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind... And to love my neighbor as myself, I have to make a change. I have to. Otherwise, I'm going to be that guy who gets to the end and says, what does it profit you that you gained the whole world but lost your soul? Not worth it. Not worth it. And so we need to be people that pray the greatest advantage to unhurrying your life is that you will be able to pray. That you'll be able to pray. Abiding in Christ is prayer. It's time with Jesus. That's what it is. And Jesus says in John 15 that that is what leads to fruit in your life. That's the thing that leads to fruit. And so you're, you're actually going gonna to remove things that feel like things that lead to fruit. <laughs> but that's not true. According to Jesus. Really, really important. I love what this quote will be on the screen too. I love what it's a short one. Ronald Rollheiser says that prayer is relaxing into God's presence. Prayer is relaxing into God's presence. Now, I don't agree with everything Ronald has to say, uh, but that was pretty good. Because I think a lot of times we think about prayer and we think like, oh, I forgot to pray. I got to pray. Now, 
You didn't pray again. It's like prayer's not prayer's not a thing to do. Prayer is a relationship. Prayer is a prayer is a movement towards Jesus. Because it's not all just you talking either. It's listening, slowing down. And, and, and that's where I want to take you as we close this series and step into Advent and think about Jesus coming. I want, you to, I want you to be in that place, not speeding up as the holidays come, but intentionally as things speed up with the drawing to pray, relaxing into God's presence because that's restorative. That's refreshing. That is cold water in the desert. I love what J.D. Greer says about prayer. He wrote a blog post when he was uh, speaking about Paul Miller's book, A Praying Life. This will be on the screen as well. But here's what he says. He says, my life can be hectic. And adding prayer as one more thing seems to be stressful, not less. But when we approach prayer as a way of spending time with our loving Father, it becomes something that brings calm and confidence in the midst of busyness. See, I think a lot of times we think that withdrawing to pray means all the busy stops. Like, my whole life will look different. No, you will be different in the midst of your life. I'm not trying to tell you that you don't need to do all the other things that are happening in your life. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to say in the midst of all those other things you have to do in your life, you need to make an intentional decision to unplug from that and pray. That's what I'm trying to tell you. So going back to our text, verse 15, it says the news spread about, spread about him all the more so that crowds of people came, right? These people came to hear him and be healed by him. And again, we've already said, Really good things. Like we would say to those people, you went to the right place. When somebody calls me during the week and says, I need help with X, Y, or Z, I say, you need to go to Jesus. Like there's nothing wrong with that. But I love this and I circled it in my Bible and you should too, is that it says Jesus often. Right? This was a lifestyle. This was a relationship. He often withdrew to pray. Super important. I also think it's important for you to see what the text doesn't say. (laughs) Right? I already let the cat out of the bag. It doesn't say that he didn't heal those people. Because in the very next part of the text, he's healing people again. He's confronting Pharisees again. He's busy again. He didn't stop doing what he was called to do, and you shouldn't either. God has you right where he wants you all week long. But he did often withdraw to pray. And so super, super important. So Jesus apparently had a threshold of what he was willing to do without withdrawing to pray. And that's kind of where I want to land with you as we close this series is I want to encourage you to determine intentionally what is the threshold for my life, for my family's life, for my work life, for all of those things that you would 
take control back into your soul and say, what is the threshold of hurry before I need to withdraw and pray? Where's the threshold? And so how do you, how do, you do that? How, how, do I, how do I pull life back into my lap and say, okay, you're going to work for me. I'm not going to work for you. How do you do that? I want to encourage you today to start thinking about, and I want to encourage you to take Thanksgiving week to think about creating for yourself and for your families a rule of life. It's been a practice that's been around for a very long time. And while rule may scare you, and you're like, but that, Mitch, you don't like rules. You're right, I don't like rules. I don't like rules at all. But rule, in its proper context, comes from a Latin word that means trellis, right? Can a vine grow properly without a trellis? It can't. It'll just go all over the place, right? A lot of good things happening, maybe even some fruit out there on the ground. But it needs a trellis, right? It needs needs an intentional way, a place to grow, and that's what I'm suggesting for your life, that you would align your schedule to your values, your passions, and your priorities, not the other way around. Not that you would give the best of who you are to whatever's demanding it at the time. You understand the difference? It's like creating a budget for your money. If you spend it on paper before you spend it in real life, you will be far more successful at accomplishing your goals. That was free. But a rule of life is a means to an end. It's not the goal. It's not the goal to just have a rule of life for yourself. The goal is to be able to withdraw. The goal is to have my values and my schedule arranged properly so that I will intentionally go withdraw and spend time with Jesus. The goal is to be, as we say, to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and then to be able to look with Jesus. That's the goal. That's what we're trying to do. Redeemer City Church, we exist as a people to share and spread good news in our city. The liberating power of the gospel. That's why we are here. But we won't do that if we're not intentional with our time. And so think of it as guardrails, right? If you're flying down the road and there's no guardrails, you might end up in a ditch when the rains of life come, right? We put guardrails there to say, hey, as you swerve off and hit a guardrail, bounces you back, not without some damage, not without some damage. You know, it's better to drive slow, right? That's what a rule of life is. It's a guardrail for the road of life so you don't end up in the ditch. And so I'm not going to tell you how to do it today. However, I will say that if you want to go further into that, you can see Jerome or myself, and we would love to walk you through some of those best practices because there are. There are some good ones, and then there's some crazy ones, right? If you just go Google this, you're going to find a lot of stuff, all right? But at, at a minimum, it is intentionally, on paper, writing down 
for your life and for your family's life. What is our priorities? What are our goals? What are we passionate about? And how are we going to accomplish those with our time? We're going to budget our time just like we do our money. And so if you want more of that, I I would love to spend some time with you on that. We also do it as a church community. We also do it as a church community. And so we've been building in this rhythm at the end of our services to take even just a couple minutes to have Kevin sing over us while we just sit and speak to the Lord about whatever's on your heart. Today we're going to add in communion because it's at, it's at that communion table that I want to invite you to think about these things we've been talking about. Because one of the things that communion does is it pulls us back into that spot where we recognize that this is that the Christian life, the Christian faith, is not about what I'm doing for God, but about what He's done for me. That communion pulls us back into that proper perspective. Because what we're trying to do is join God in the renewal of all things. We're not trying to manufacture renewal for God's glory. Huge difference. He's already working. And he's invited you to come and be a part of it. But make no mistake, his will and ways will be accomplished whether we choose to get on board or not. However, he's invited you because he loves you. And he's adopted you into his family to come Taste and see that he is good and to join him, right? That's Ephesians, that you were created for good work in Christ Jesus. So that's what we're after. And so I want to create that space. I'm going to have the band come up. They're going to start to play. And before we even get to the communion table, Kevin's going to sing over you. And I just, I want to give you this couple minutes to sit there. And to listen and to be silent before God. To hear the words that are being sung. To pray. To confess your sins. To receive the forgiveness. Are you aware that when you walked into this place that you are forgiven? God has forgiven your sins. And you are free in Him. What an amazing thing. Jesus forgives you. Bible says that if you are, if you will confess your sin, he will be faithful and just to forgive you.